when I look at my career and I look back over the partnerships that um, I've built, the ones that were most successful were the ones that were making a positive impact in the world in some way. The most common cause of bad customer experience isn't that high tech. It's embarrassingly simple. Yep, it's answering questions. In e-commerce, it's really easy to get bogged down with common questions, whether that's, where's my package? How do I return or exchange this item? Or just to cancel a subscription. Dolphpath is an AI-driven customer support system that enhances the customer experience with visual formats and self-serve technology to empower your customers to handle their own support requests. Get the best customer support system for your business. Get Solvepath. Get started by visiting GetSolvePath.com. Welcome to FinTech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Corinne, welcome so much to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So with MX having the mission of empowering the world to be financially strong, and then doing that through over 13,000 financial institutions, FinTechs, credit unions, all that fun stuff, empowering over 85% of the digital banking solutions in the marketplace. Not only that, but they're touching over 200 million customers every single day. I find it really interesting that you're bringing 25 years worth of experience to the, to the business and everything from engineering to marketing, to sales, channels, alliances, it's a really broad spectrum. But the thing that I really thought was interesting was the fact that you've specialized in building ecosystems and partner programs. Now with you having a, a degree in electrical engineering. I do. And a marketing certificate. Tell me, how in the heck did you end up falling into FinTech? <laughs> well, it's funny. And yes, I started out my career as an engineer. So that was a very long time ago. And at um, least a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, weeks ago. exactly. Exactly. I always joke with my friends that I graduated college with that we've known each other for at least five years. Um, but I, I did start out my career as an engineer and I was in telecommunications and I stayed in telecommunications as I left engineering, went into marketing and sales and just landed in channels and alliances there. And what I loved about that is you can imagine coming from a technical background, coming into a customer-facing environment, is that uh, you really are problem-solving all the time, and you're doing so with a long-range view. You really want your salespeople focused short-term, and I was not good at that. And so although I bounced back and forth between direct sales and, and alliances, that was my specialty, and that's what I really love. I love building the engines that create levers for growth. And I've been doing that, you know, first in telecom, like I said, and then at one point I started selling telecom equipment to banks and, you know, just nothing to do with their business, but they needed to talk to each other by phone as well. So you can tell how far back we're going. And then from there into what used to be called customer communications, which was helping banks communicate with their customers, helping insurance companies produce the policy out of their core systems. And that eventually evolved into me um, for a little while doing a consulting thing where I was helping companies learn how to do channels, alliances. I started advising a couple of fintechs just in New York and that whole thing started growing mm -hmm. down near the Flatiron. And so I had a couple of, of clients and I eventually went to work um, back in fintech. And that was really only about five years ago. 
So oh, wow, relatively early. Yes, uh, fairly recent. Yeah, I've recent. Really, Sorry. only been in <laughs> in fintech for about five years. Um, one of the one of the most interesting parts about it for me is how much when you're at a distance. I always joke, you know, I'm going to sell software to banks and they're just going to make more money. That doesn't sound inspiring to me. But as I was um, in my last company working and partnering with MX, I thought, my gosh, you know, we talk about the nobility in banking. You know, Brandon DeWitt's um, uh, got a great, great um, conversation that he's had in multiple places. And I know there's recordings out there, but that really spoke to me. And so here I am and I love what we're doing and I love the, what we're building. And I feel like that um, mission to empower the world to be financially strong. Yeah, of course, every company has a mission. I love that we live it and we... Mm-hmm are sincere and um i'm not going anywhere it's it's just a lot of fun here so although it's been a relatively short journey in fintech what is the biggest lesson that you've learned so far during this journey i think what i've learned and this is coming from never having really been in the core of banking is that there is this large wave of change happening in this industry. And it's a wave of going from these vertically integrated systems to really an ecosystem of building blocks that allow people to reimagine how finance mm. can happen. And it's the, the, the ability to bring these different building blocks together that's creating opportunity in our industry and is giving us that chance to empower the world to be financially strong because we can do things that we couldn't do before. And not just us in the industry, but even those clients we're serving that are not traditionally financial related. I know you've seen a lot when it comes to partnerships and there are so many different kinds of partnerships. Mm -hmm. What are the types of partnerships that really work well with MX? So quite a lot. We do a lot of different types of partnering. And I think um, if we didn't, um, it would be, a lot less successful for us and for our clients. So we work with third parties to help us build better products. We have product partnerships. Those don't fall within my domain. We have somebody in product that does run those. But that's a really important part of building an ecosystem is pulling those pieces together, those things that we don't need to do ourselves or are better done by others, pulling them into the ecosystem. When we talk about the part of the partnerships organization I'm in and the ecosystem pieces that that my team and I are responsible for, it's really those outbound go-to-market pieces. And we have partners that embed some piece of our technology in their product. We have partners that are reselling and doing a lot of joint go-to-marketing and um, selling, co-selling programs with us. We have implementation partners that are helping us help our clients to build out um, unique solutions and very differentiated products for our common customers. So we have a wide array of partnerships both from a style of partnering and the businesses that they do and the types of solutions that they're bringing to bear. With having external partners, the relationship can be very finicky sometimes. How, tell me how MX develops the partnerships in a way that gives the best experience overarchingly. So earlier on in my, in my partnering career, I took over a partnership organization at a company um, and they had 40 signed partners. And the first thing I discovered was the person who was running partnerships before me was paid for signing partner agreements. Wasn't, say, wasn't paid for any kind of success out of those agreements, just for signing the agreements. And so we called those Barney agreements, like, I love you, you love me, right? Just 
The point <laughs> of the partnership was to put a logo on a page somewhere and really had nothing to do with what customers needed from those, those variety of companies. That does not work. What I think is really critical in developing any kind of ecosystem is you're building something for a reason and you're choosing your partners because A, they're aligned in cultural ways and technology works together and you have common target customers that need the combination. Those, those combinations are important to the customers and then you need to prove it. And so very frequently in our partner journey, we start with, let's find some customers, not with an agreement, not with any kind of planning, but let's find some customers where we together can make an impact. And let's let that be what we learn, how and what we need to focus on as partners. It always evolves. And your first guess of what might be right might not always be the best. But because we're building partnerships that are very responsive to specific needs of common clients, we're able to say we've got something here that is valuable to the market and we know how to communicate that value early. And it's really, these partnerships aren't always one-to-one. -one. I think we have some case studies with three or four participants that takes to, oh, wow. to help bring a customer to success. And having that, those little mini ecosystems on behalf of a customer working well together is just all about communication, about staying aligned. You line objectives at the beginning, you check, make sure you're on the, the right path. You learn something along the way um, and, and, you, and you drive value that, that is realized for, for a customer. And then repeat. With going to the partners, with saying, let's find customers together mm -hmm. to really prove this out, that, that lends itself to partnerships being a primary driver of growth for MX. Tell me about what you see as the opportunity ahead for both MX and the partners over, say, the next five years. Sure, sure. I think we're in a market that is... If you think a little bit about where we are, and if we can just step back and talk a little bit about where we are and mm, how fantastic. we're servicing consumers' financial journeys, right? If you think about it, there's all this technology and there's all this innovation happening and really cool things are getting built. But from the standpoint of most consumers, it's become disjointed and confusing. And so here we have all this great stuff happening. In a lot of ways, consumers are worse off, not better off, because they don't know how to navigate it all and they don't know how to bring it together. And so I think. Um, we are on a journey as an industry to sort of take the pieces apart and put them back together. And if anybody tells you that they know how those are going to come back together, I would challenge them, right? I, I lived through the dot-com changes. You know, nothing about this is predictable, unfortunately, but it is exciting and it will happen. What we can predict is 10 years from now, our financial, our relationship with our finances and our money is going to be totally different than it is today. In order to get there, we have to take the shackles off of ideation and creation, but we also have to keep in mind that the consumer is at the center of this, or the SMB owner, or whoever that, that customer might be, the end user of all these services. And so when we're, when we're choosing partners, we're looking for those, when we say mission aligned, they're focused on that consumer. They, along with us, believe wholeheartedly that the consumer owns their data, that they should have easy access to the data, they should be able to bring it with them, they should be able to make sense of it, and the solutions that are being brought to bear for that consumer should be making their lives easier and helping them navigate this. That might mean sometimes, in some cases, with embedded finance, the, the, the fact that it's finance completely disappears from the consumer's awareness. In other cases, it may mean that consumers are constantly on a, an educational journey with 
their main providers. And I think as we look at these changes and what's going to happen, you know, clearly open banking is the facilitation of that and having good stewards of the consumer's journey is at the center of this. And the uh, winners who are not predictable are going to look something like a bank and something like a fintech in the end. Um, and it's going to be different than anything that I think we can imagine today. If you leave that and you say, okay, we believe that, and this is a five or a 10 year journey, or maybe it's longer. I don't know how long after the dot-com crash it took for us to buy most things online, but it was a lot of years, right? So if you think of that transition of dot-com came around, it was everything, everybody invested in it, and then it just crashed. How long did it take to become ubiquitous in our lives and become what it is today? It was a lot of years. And so if you think of where we are in the banking journey, if you say that model exists, it's going to go through the hype cycle and it's going to come crashing down and it's going to recover. One thing we can control and influence is how compressed we make that timeline. How fast can we get to that steady state where we are actually improving consumers' lives in a way that is more accessible to them than what we're doing today? You've got early adopters today, and they're doing all kinds of fun things with technology. And sure, there's millions of them, but there's hundreds of millions of consumers, right? And so I think we need to, to really just let our journey unfold, but we need to purposely go through it and intentionally go through it. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. And you, you, you skipped ahead. I don't know how you read my next question. So I'm going to circle back around just to make sure that we, we hit on this. And I get, cause you, you mentioned something that, that is really important. And I think this is one of the things I see being a huge benefit of, of what MX offers is the fact that the financial ecosystem is so fragmented, just disjointed, disconnected, super siloed, and it doesn't lend itself to easily give the consumers or the businesses a way to see their money, the way right. to use their money, a way to track their money, and heck, even a way to grow their money. And so what I was what I'd like to understand from you is how can financial institutions and technology partners work together to provide better, more cohesive, more seamless experiences when partnering with MX? So I think what we see today, and we see it in maybe small segments, is we see organizations coming together to serve a specific community that has something in common. Sometimes it's demographic. It's very often a demographic that is either underserved today or poorly understood. And in that, we're starting to see the seeds of pulling the pieces together to really solve a very specific problem. And so for some communities, let's say it's some kind of immigrant community, maybe they don't have credit. They have no files. It's really hard for them to have any kind of of lending experience here in the U.S. Um, also might mean that they have obligations or an interest in sending money abroad, right? So we see early fintechs who have great ideas about how to build something specifically for, to solve those specific use cases for this very narrow audience. And so I think those are the first steps of what we need to expect to see. And I don't think that that's something we can skip, but it doesn't scale necessarily. And it is not easy to necessarily always reach those audiences. 
So you've got a great idea on how to serve them, but how do you drive adoption and how do you how do you make it more ubiquitous? They've got to be able to find you. And it's a noisy world. It's hard to find the products you need and, and to understand them. So I think when I think about the partnerships we're doing today, the partnerships we're doing today that serve these use cases are really about what we all need to learn. But I don't think that in the end, the financial ecosystem is going to be that fragmented. I think what you said is correct. There's going to be some kind of consolidation. So in the end, as a consumer coming in, we're going to be able to hopefully find our way to the services we need without having to go to different places for each service, mm -hmm. right? That's not many of us are able to navigate that. We work in the industry and a lot of us have trouble exactly. with it, right? And so when you look at like, you know, a, a, a neobank or somebody servicing a very small audience and yes, they, you know, they attract a reasonable number of consumers, that stops at some point, that's just stuck. And how do you expand that? And I think that's where we're seeing, you know, some, some of our customers and our partners starting to talk to each other about some kinds of, of simplification of that process. But I think we're doing what we have to do today, which is, is figuring out what are those services, what are the things that individual sub-segments, it's almost, we used to talk about the, the marketing to an audience of one. We don't really do that so much anymore, but at one point that was what we did. I think this is kind of like that. We're marketing to audiences of one, but you have to have lots of ones to really have a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. And so at some point we need to bring those things back together as an industry. The most common cause of bad customer experience isn't that high tech. It's embarrassingly simple. Yep, it's answering questions. In e-commerce, it's really easy to get bogged down with common questions, whether that's, where's my package? How do I return or exchange this item? Or just to cancel a subscription. SolvePath is an AI-driven customer support system that enhances the customer experience with visual formats and self-serve technology to empower your customers to handle their own support requests. Get the best customer support system for your business. Get SolvePath. Get started by visiting GetSolvePath.com. I would love it to be to a point where I go to one place and I don't have to reapply for the same loan over and over again right. with slightly different data here and there. And really, as it like, I love data. I love figuring out what you can do with data, how it can be used, how it can be leveraged, how you can get insights into things by using data. And, you know, I, I, I look at data as being more of a gold mine versus a stack of gold bars, right? which means that it's dirty it's it's nasty it's in <laughs> it, it's you just it takes a lot to really mm -hmm. clean it to make it so that it looks pretty to polish it up to present it in a way right. that that is usable i'm curious from your perspective and working with all of these partners how are they dealing with the various levels of depth of data as well as quality of data? It's a really good question. I think, um, you know, MX is known for having really good data enrichment, really good Which data cleansing, right? the question. <laughs> yes. But the data we're cleansing and enriching and making actionable today is a piece of the puzzle of all the data about the, the consumer. And so we are, we're not touching the credit file or the credit history today, right? We're, we may be able to show you your credit score, but that data is separate. It doesn't go through our data engine. It goes through somebody else's data engine. 
So people out there are trying to stitch these pieces of data together. To top it off, because there is rightly good privacy concerns, sometimes stitching that data together knowing it's you is hard. And in fact, where some companies today do that really well out in the web, um, they're getting clamped down and being told you can't do that, right? So we want to be able to pull data together in a way from different sources that represents you and is usable for whatever it is you're trying to do. And I think that the there's some conversations today, we're nowhere near having this concept of a single identity that you take with you through these experiences. And I think that that single identity, you know, some people point to your cell phone number. It's the one thing that is almost uniquely individual, right? Like, yeah. But if you look at my cell phone bill, there's three phone numbers there and they all say Corinne Bartow, right? Mm-hmm. They're not all Corinne Bartow. One of them's my daughter. One of them's my husband. So, <laughs> uh, so, so it's not perfect, right? It also isn't connected in any way to either of their financial lives. Um, right. And it's barely connected to mine, right? So I think there is a lot of opportunity you know, certainly the data that we do touch and cleanse, I think that's really, really useful for lots of the kinds of financial use cases we talk about today. Things like I have a thin file or um, I've been making my rent payments forever, but I don't really have a great credit score. I'm really likely to pay back a loan, but how are, how does somebody know that, right? It's mm-hmm. in this transaction data. There's a lot of opportunities to use data today in ways that are very healthy. But it's segments of data. And so I think what you're asking is, how do you stitch that data together and bring it with me as an individual so I don't have to re-permission subsets of the data for a different purpose? I just say, this is who I am. Here's my NFT that proves it. I'm Ted Huff. And so uh, give me a loan or help me buy this car or whatever it is that you're looking to do, right? Is that where yeah, you're going? Uh, well, that not only that, but just when you look at it from technology partnership aspect you know you're you're going to get different layers and levels of data mm-hmm. you know if you look some of the um, you know I, i've worked with credit bureaus a lot and you can pull one report that has the same name that gets you 20 pieces of data as one that has the same name that gets you 200 pieces of data that's right. And the only way you know that you didn't get the right one is when you look at the data that's there. Right. And how are partners, how are you seeing partners deal with that, that in some cases lack, lack of depth? Lack of depth. So, um, and there's two reasons why you might see different data, right? It might still be you, but you've got a different score model. So one might be Vantage Score 3 and the other FICO 8 or whatever, right? So there's different data. And right now, Institutions that are making lending decisions, typically their systems are tied to that original score model. So being able to use different data is really hard. Mm -hmm. And so just moving from one score model to the next one that's an evolution and is an improvement is hard for them, never mind something with totally different data. So that's one problem. The other is you may not be the only Ted Huff that lived in whatever city you lived in. And so how do you ensure the identity So let's take the first one. The first one is, how do you move through score models? This is where I think the innovation happens sometimes outside of traditional institutions, but eventually either comes back to them or replaces them. And not predictable, but I think we're seeing a number of partners that are using uh, 
the identity data that you can get out of an account mm -hmm. with traditional KYC to validate that they have the right person. And because the, I think fintech has opened up a lot of new opportunities for fraudsters to attempt to play, that's becoming harder to do. And we see some partners that are um, getting really creative about how to pull these things together. And we even have one partner that is really using this concept that once I know who you are, I do know who you are, right? The bank that you're applying for a loan at or the new fintech you're opening an account with still doesn't know who you are, but I do. And they're creating a way to sort of federate that identity and oh, okay. yet still meet all the compliance requirements. And they're doing that through this idea that once they've authenticated you, then they can re-authenticate you. And you can keep adding more data to that. So as you go from place to place and you start adding maybe the first place you experience them, you don't, you don't need a, a driver's license. The next one, they actually want a picture of the driver's license. So you're building it incrementally and then it's, it's available. And, and so in that model, eventually you've provided all the information and that identity remains to be seen. Now, whether or not they end up being the model that becomes pervasive, I don't know yet, but um, I really like what they're doing and I like that. And then if you take that and you say, okay, now I want to prove that this is the TEDF that owns that bank account. You can, you've got multiple pieces of data and the bank has data that they say, okay, I, I know Ted, I know his phone number, I know his address. Um, maybe you forgot to update your address though. So now, <laughs> you know, being able to stitch together all these pieces of information is, is about that KYC problem, that know your customer problem. And so we do see partners that are using our data in conjunction with other data sources to improve that. And um, what we're seeing is the, the fintechs that are embracing those more mature, more sophisticated KYC are seeing fewer returns or fewer problems with fraud in their system. So there is a reason why banks originally built all this infrastructure, right? And, uh, you know, have become risk averse, right? The, the, there are a lot of fraudsters out there that will try to gain the system. So that's one way. The other question you asked is, okay, now do I know whether or not I um, have that complete data set and is this the right person? And I think the, the, um, the ability, again, to marry those data sources is, is what becomes critical. We don't do a lot of that marrying at MX, right? We're one of those sources of data in a lot of cases. I don't know if that will always be true, but today that's true. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting as, as you're talking through that, you know, I start to think about, you know, there are so many different players in the marketplace that all do a little bit here, a little bit there. And I think you used the phrase stitching it all together. Well, in order to stitch it all together, people kind of have to get along and play nice in the mm. sandbox. How how do you see MX leading the charge and and really bringing those partnerships from from the external partners and, and really tying those things together? I think first and foremost, we're picky about who we partner with. So we don't just partner with everybody because they're in the same industry as we do, right? Um, we certainly um, have a affinity and a desire to partner with those that are aligned with us. You know, I don't want to sound corny, but not just mission aligned, but, but you know, good people, good people that are in this for the right reasons, mm -hmm. not just in to make a quick buck. And then, um, again, we go back to getting that alignment around objectives. What are you trying to do? What are we trying to do? Where's our common interests? Where are our common customers? When you're creating value together, you could have something really, really challenging, threatening the partnership. And you sit down and you talk about it and you work it out. Very rarely have I seen 
a partnership where you're creating real value crumble because of maybe, you know, maybe a, a, a channel conflict issue or um, even a fail, like we were counting on each other and one of us fell down on a customer. It's going to happen. And most partnerships, I think, that are well-founded around that alignment can survive those. It takes hard conversations. One of the things that I think um, can be really challenging for folks that come into a partnership role is that you have a responsibility and accountability internally to your organization to deliver results, right? Yes, we're here to serve our customers, but we're here also to drive revenue and growth in the business. And in order to do that, you have to uh, influence and make things happen in organizations that have no accountability and you have no authority over them. And you do that by building relationships and building trust. And I'm a big, big fan of the whole concept of radical candor, right? We are not always going to agree. And we are not always going to see things exactly the same way. And so we need to be able to have very honest discussions. And in today's world, and you look at MX, right? We have, we've, we've built a, a great data platform. It's a fabulous open finance platform. We're going to have lots of partners, hopefully building on top of that platform. But we also build on top of that platform. And I actually just had a conversation earlier today with a partner that is also building a mobile app and a framework for a repeatable mobile app, similar in some ways to our mobile SDK. And we had a very frank discussion about segmenting the market, understanding where we're going to compete, where they're better, where we're better, and where we're just going to choose to compete and compete in good faith and, and yet continue to partner tightly on areas where something in our platform can help them innovate in their product and make it better than their competitors, right? So I think it's just, it takes some maturity and some emotional intelligence and frankly, some, some gumption mm-hmm. at times to be that brutally honest, but yet kind and thoughtful and, and still, you know, approach it from a spirit of partnership and understanding that we, we work in a complex in- industry. Mm-hmm. Most industries are complex. This one is particularly complex, <laughs> particularly around ecosystems. And we still haven't figured out why we've made it so complicated, but that's a different story no, for a different No, we're hoping to day. simplify it, quite frankly, but it's, it's hard to simplify. And, and you, just, you just look at the number of, say, lending platforms or, uh, you know, buy now, pay later solutions. Like, why are there so many? Partly because we don't know which ones are going to win yet, and there's a proliferation of ideas and thoughts, but partly because there's a lot of slightly different use cases that have slightly mm-hmm. different requirements, and a lot of us will continue to coexist. I bet there'll be some consolidation for sure, but there will be a lot of us that continue to coexist in this market. And so that complexity is maybe, you know, 2x what it needs to be or 1.5x what it needs to be, but it's not 10x what it needs to be, I don't think. That's I'd an love to be wrong. Perspective. But, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I I think it's a little bit more than what you're stating, but I, I don't I also don't agree. I also agree. I don't think it's 10x. Yeah. Um, but it is way more complicated. And I will agree with you that it's way more complicated than it needs to be. Yes. You mentioned you choose your partners very carefully. You do. And and I with MX being such a mission-driven organization, I'm curious if you could share with us how that mission resonated with you. you. If we go back to the beginning, that was a big reason it was. to join. It was. Kind of, can you expand on how that resonated with you and why it meant so much to you? I think, you know, we all have friends and relatives who have struggled with money or have been subjected to scam or artists of some kind or, you know, some kind of fraud phone call. This is the IRS. Send me oh money. Gosh. 
I literally um, just got one of those today. And it's shocking that they still make that call. And I remember I said, young man, you need to find a better job. <laughs> <laughs> this one is going nowhere. But I mean, we all have friends and relatives who have experienced that and maybe we've experienced ourselves. Um, we all have, uh, I don't I'm, you know, over a, a fairly long career now, you know, I've had opportunities to make money. I've had opportunities to do various kinds of things. What I've never done is I, what I felt was like really giving back to the world. And I wasn't ready to leave my career, but I felt like I needed to do more to give back or, you know, just just to do something that was less about me, 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 money, money, money or whatever. So that was a big part of it. The other thing that was a big part of it was that when I look at my career and I look back over the partnerships that um, I've built, the ones that were most successful were the ones that were making a positive impact in the world in some way, right? Um, there was a time in my life where I helped build voicemail systems. Believe it or not, voicemail was an improvement at the time. I'm really sorry that we built them. But at the time, it was an improvement of what we did. And so I, I can look back over various parts of my career and say, you know, if if you can make the world better through your career and through the technology you're delivering, then that's a great win. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I have some friends that are in very philanthropic, I can't even say the word, role. And I, it rolls and I look back and I... I honor them and I respect them and I wish I was more like them, but I love what I do and I love mm -hmm. the combination um, here. Is that answering your question? No, it sure. does. It does. I, I just, I like to get the perspective. You know, I, I, I talked to Jim and I've talked to Wes and now yourself and, and even Ryan, I sit down with Ryan as well. And, and just to understand how, how that mission impacts everybody differently. Right. Um, but at the same time, it has a a very deep impact. And it's just, it's really interesting to understand how deep that impact actually goes when you start to have conversations. It does. It does. I think, and, and the way it impacts our partners is that when, when we do have that alignment, um, and you know, sometimes when I say mission aligned, it feels corny, but, <laughs> and yeah, and, but it, it is real and it's pretty clear. Most companies, when they come and they talk to MX and they're pitching and they want to do things, they're going to claim mission alignment. They know this is an important part of who MX is. We make it very clear. And so everybody says they're mission aligned, right? But not everybody really is. And it comes down to um, people that, you know, y you build a culture when you build a company. And when you build a culture that allows folks with maybe a little bit less integrity to thrive and not get called out, it shows, and it shows pretty quickly when you start talking to people and you start trying to align on those objectives. You would build a partnership, you want to align ob objectives early and make sure you're on the same path. It becomes pretty clear pretty quickly. And so for us, it's, it's I think there are hundreds of companies we could be partnering with and we need to prioritize. We, you know, there, there are probably hundreds I would like to be partnering with that mm -hmm. would meet that cr criteria. But we're very purposeful in building the partnerships and we build them very, I think, thoughtfully. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to fire a partner too, right? And yeah. those, that's the hardest conversation. This just isn't working. And we're, we, we both have to make an investment to be in a partnership. When it stops working for you or for your common customers, there's no reason to continue making that investment. And sometimes people are too nice or optimistic, too optimistic to, to, to cut those ties. And I think that's a part of being mission aligned is is not just wanting to do good, but actually being able to do good mm -hmm. and yeah. knowing that sometimes 
nobody's bad. Nobody's wrong in this situation here. We are all good people trying to do good things, but, but maybe this isn't the right time to make this investment for you and I. And those are, those are all parts of driving to, to, to do good, right? To make that impact. Wow. I mean, just the information you shared today um, gives me a whole new perspective on, on what leading with, as Jim mentioned, leading with partnerships um, means um, to me and the perspective of MX. So I appreciate that. I, I do have one more question I want to ask. Um, what is your hope for those who attended the summit this week? Oh my gosh. To go home with. Um, first and foremost, I want them to go home with this pure optimism that you feel when you're here at this event. MX Summit is just such a, uh, a coming together of brain power and spirit and energy and sharing that it just is it's just wonderful to be here i remember i went home last year and i just couldn't stop thinking about it and i would wake up i was smiling like that it's a really <laughs> great conversation or really glad i met that person and you know you know i'm gonna really work at making sure we stay in touch and i hope everybody walks away feeling like they had a, at least a few experiences while they were here that gave them a a, a real pride in being a part Support provided by SolvePath in e-commerce, it's really easy to get bogged down with basic support inquiries. Whether that's where is my package, how do I return or exchange this item, or just to cancel a subscription. SolvePath is an AI-driven customer support system that uses a visual format and self-serve technology to quickly and effectively resolve issues, resulting in satisfying support experiences for customers. Customize a visual support experience for your e-commerce brands and increase your overall performance, enhance the customer experience, and drastically reduce support costs. Get the best customer support system for your business. Get SolvePath. Get started by visiting GetSolvePath.com. This has been a production of Diamond D3 Media, with all rights reserved. This is provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. We strive to provide accurate and up-to-date information, but will not be responsible for any missing facts or inaccurate information. You comply and understand that you should use any of this information at your own risk. Cryptocurrencies are highly volatile financial assets, so research and make your own financial decisions.